Lawrence St John was born in Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe, and is best known for her children's novels, including The White Giraffe and Dead Man's Cove, which won her a Blue Peter Book Award in 2011. Her latest book is an adventure story entitled Wave Riders, and in their recent conversation, Nikki Gamble started by asking Lauren to set up the story of Wave Riders for us. Well, Wave Riders is about twins, uh, Jess and Jude. Uh, they're living a dream life, sailing around the world with their guardian, Gabe Carter. And then actually on the morning of their 12th birthday, Gabe vanishes without trace. And they're left completely alone at sea in the Caribbean. And it's what happens next. They know nothing about their background at all. And when a glamorous uh, couple step forward seemingly to offer the perfect home, it seems too good to be true. And maybe it is. Maybe we'll it come is. come to that in a little while. I want to stick in the Caribbean to begin with. Okay. Um, it, it opens in an idyllic setting, what's called the British Virgin Islands, which That's you right. write about with such, um, I mean, just the way that you describe the sea and the colours of the sea. I get a sense that this is a place that you know. I haven't been to the British Virgin Islands very, very sadly, because during lockdown, I kept, when I was researching it, I kept looking at these magnificent pictures and thinking, if only I was in the Virgin Islands. But I have been to the Caribbean quite a few times and I, I really, really love it. And I also did a huge amount of research. I made sure I knew as much as possible of the sea that I was writing about. Yeah, that really comes through because you know where something is dark blue and where something is turquoise. And my mind pictures were just so clear oh, uh, from so reading your uh, book. What made you choose the British Virgin Islands when you could have written about the Caribbean that you do know about? I've just always liked the idea that, that the British Virgin Islands, something's really uh, interesting about it. And it's so idyllic. I mean, it just looks like a sort of paradise. And I like the idea of them being in this paradise and then something completely unexpected happening. And then how do they cope from the supposedly perfect place, mm. how things unfolded? Things that look perfect often aren't. And there are always <laughs> threats that are there, whether it's from coral reefs or from people. It does start with a lot of sailing. And I don't know, in my mind, I thought that perhaps you'd always been a sailor, but you come from Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, which is a landlocked country. And yet you did learn to sail. Uh, what was that like? Well, the very few times I've ever been on a yacht, I've been really, really ill. <laughs> and I just was really nervous I knew that because sailing is so technical I knew that I didn't want to write a book that involves a lot of sailing where I just sort of fudged it based on a video I, I wouldn't have felt right with that at all so I knew I actually physically wanted to do it uh, so <laughs> I signed up for what's called a competent crew course which is five days and I sailed around the coast of Britain and I was so scared of being ill. I read up on everything and it seemed like ginger was the way to save yourself. So I took copious amounts of ginger biscuits and crystallized ginger. And I wore these things called sea bands. And I was completely fine the entire time. But I could not have written the book without doing that course because firstly, sailing is even more technical than I imagined. It's the, the physicality of it because 
the cold as well. Um, we went out in March, and the cold is just a different kind of cold. And how dangerous it is, that was a revelation because there's hardly anywhere to hold on to. And you're frequently, the second day we were in this huge kind of 4-7 gale. But I found that I loved it. Part of the course is that you have to do learn to night sail. And it was so bitterly cold. Um, but it was so magical because being alone with the sound of the, the sails and these huge shining black waves coming at me from all directions it was so magical what's really interesting is it sounds authentic when you're reading it but it's that feeling that I think comes across really strongly and I did wonder because there's another of your loves later uh, in the story which are horses and horse riding and I just wondered whether the sensation that you've just described there from the sailing whether in some ways there's a connection between that and the feelings that you get from riding horses. It's so interesting that you say that because with horses, you always ever so slightly don't know what's going to happen next, especially if you're on a fast horse. But actually, weirdly, being at the helm reminded me a lot of being on a fast horse because of the split second judgments you're always making about things and how many things you have to watch for strangely I do think there's some kind of relationship between the two. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about your characters the twins I'm really interested in twins in literature and what they sort of afford you as a writer what you're able to do with them so when did the idea come to you and did you discover that you could do things with twins that you couldn't do with other kinds of character? It was actually really a revelation writing about twins it was one of those ideas that kind of came out of nowhere. I just had a very strong image of these two living in this sort of dream existence and then waking up to find themselves alone at sea and trying to solve the mystery of who they were. And immediately I wanted them to be twins as opposed to brother and sister. But it wasn't until I was writing about it that I realised how powerful that was because there was a connection between them. It's like a glue that holds them together when they flung into all of these different things, situations. Mm. I found that actually really kind of beautiful to write about. Mm. And strangely, I've had people contact me even when I was just mentioning the plot on, on social media, saying that twins are not often positively depicted in literature which I, I found kind of strange and sad because actually it's a really beautiful relationship interesting but yes they're often quite hateful towards each other almost as though they want to often it's about establishing their own identity and mm-hmm. breaking away from mm-hmm. the other twin well it's funny enough when I was sort of still researching it if I did school visits I often came across twins and and I'd say to them do you get how do you how do you feel about your twin do you, are you close to them or not and some were, oh, you know, he or she is my best friend. And some were, oh, I hate my twins. <laughs> yeah. It also, because the story is a mystery, but it's also an adventure. And in a way, this allowed you, I think, to explore two different kinds of adventure. There's the adventure, the internal adventure. We can all be adventurers through our reading. And then there's this external adventure and how they come together as well, how they relate to each other. Because Jess, the girl, is an avid reader. Absolutely. Her brother is a little bit more practical, enjoys the sailing Mm -hmm. and everything Mm -hmm. along with that. But actually, the reading is quite practical in how it 
can help the story develop and the mystery to be solved. I kind of like the idea of them coming again from very, very opposite places. In a way, they they start out with opposite interests and then gradually circumstances force them to look at life in a different way or look at things in a different way. And Jade is quite different to other you know, he's he doesn't like the school that he gets thrust into. He's so opposite to that, but but and that he doesn't fit in. And I like the idea that there was a way that stories could help him navigate the situation he he was in by relating to in in the way that books I think help people, which is characters you identify with have survived mm-hmm. these awful situations. Maybe you can do that too. Yeah, that was a lovely. I'm going to quote your own work back at you, where it says uh, he talks about the inner confidence from reading armoured by the detectives because she's an avid mystery. Oh, uh, Jess, yes, yes, she, yes, she does. She that's why he decides that she, she's so confident because she she's always immersed in in the worlds of these different t- detectives. Just coming to the the second part of the story, so they're in the Caribbean and. They have a catastrophic event mm-hmm. from which they're rescued and they're brought back, as you said, by these sort of benefactors who live in this amazing stately home in Gloucestershire. And you talk a little bit about how Jess, I think it is through Jess's eyes, comes to even like the weather in Britain. Uh, I love that <laughs> bit. So she found, to her surprise, that she loved the infamous English weather and the beautiful countryside. It made her feel like a character from Castle of Secrets. So my <laughs> question really is whether in coming to England, you also had some of those feelings. Oh, very much so. I think because when I was growing up, I mean, I went to boarding school in Zimbabwe when I was seven, and they mostly government boarding schools, which government run because lots of the kids are sort of spread out around the country, so it's it's not a fancy thing. But I went to school from when I was uh, boarding school from when I was seven. Very, very excitedly, I loved boarding school because I'd read so many Famous Five books and Secret Seven seemed the way to go, that all the fun was to be had at boarding school. And so because I grew up reading all those stories and about the Moors, and I loved Sherlock Holmes as well and Agatha Christie, and I always found the idea of getting lost on the Moors or proper pea soup fogs actually really cool. <laughs> so. I, get, I get a sense of that uh, from the story. <laughs> Now, you've written lots of mystery stories, obviously your White Giraffe series, Cat Wolf, and it's really interesting how we internalise these different kinds of stories. I was wondering a little bit more about the kind of mechanics of how they work and whether there's actually some thought process about, you know, how long is the ideal setup? Do you think about a book in, in thirds? Then we have a kind of complication of that and then the revelation at the end, or does it just come as one kind of continuous, smooth thought process? <laughs> Nothing has ever come as a continuous, smooth thought process. I once read a quote from a writer that hard writing is easy reading. And, and sometimes, you know, I'll battle for weeks over like some tiny little section of the book. And and then years later, I'll, I'll be maybe referencing it or something. And I'll look at and think, that paragraph, which is like such actually just an ordinary paragraph and actually nothing special, took me so long to write. Um, 
I was very impressed recently. I was reading uh, Robin Stevens, who writes murder, most unladylike mysteries. She put on Twitter how she uses this really impressive uh, spreadsheet system and for working out characters and who does what, when, and reveals. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I don't do anything. <laughs> just I just go along. I have I literally have an idea. These kids will wake up on a yacht with the the guardian vanished and then I just set off and it just each chapter will have a single idea okay in this chapter they will wake up and the yacht will be completely silent and this is what Jess will find or in this chapter they'll find a note I try to see I suppose the way I the reason I do that apart from the fact I'm not a very good uh, planner is it helps me to be in the moment so, for instance, in my first Cat Wolf book, Cat Wolf Investigates, she takes on a pet sitting job uh, to try to raise money for a laptop in her school holidays. And her very first day, she it's terrible weather in Bluebell Bay where they live. She's got to go up to this fancy mansion at the top of a cliff in fog. And so then I just imagine her setting off up these, this, these steps in this fog. And then when she gets there, the door, which is supposed to be locked, is actually, and the house is meant to be empty, but the door is slightly ajar. And then I imagine, not that I am cat, but that I am watching as she opens the door and what she sees. So I'm constantly always with my characters seeing what they see. And then in a way, like if they're scared, I almost feel scared. I suppose that's what I try to do. That's really interesting. I did find that, you know, just thinking about the first three chapters Mm -hmm. of the book and how, you know, you just read it and you enjoy it, but actually the artistry in the time frame for that and the moving backwards and forwards is quite complex in those three chapters. Did that actually come in that sequence? Because to me it looks as though it's something you probably went back and reworked to build that tension in the first three chapters. No, I wrote the uh, first three chapters really, really quickly. They just sort of poured out. And then as the book went on, it got harder and harder trying to think of all the different, how everything worked together. (laughs) I'll say to my editor, I just have to do these things. I just have to uh, get them to the UK and they just have to find out this and I just have to get them to boarding (laughs) school. Um, In actual fact, each one of those things, in order to not be rushed or to have things play out in a realistic way take can take ages. Um, but the great thing about that is that lots of things occur to you along the way that wouldn't otherwise have occurred to me. Mm. All mysteries have to have a revelation of some mm-hmm. kind. And I'm not going to <laughs> reveal what the revelation is because we want people to enjoy it when they read the mm-hmm. book. But I will just say that a lot of the revelation comes through a letter in this particular Mm -hmm. story. I'm just interested to know why that felt like the right way of unravelling the mystery. I don't know if I can even answer that. It just felt right. I think their relationship with their past was the key to the whole mystery. So, So I guess it felt right. There's a piece of advice that's given. I think it's to Jude at one point where He's told you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start from where you are and change the ending. That crops up more than once Mm -mm. in the story. I thought that was really interesting from the point of view of 
writing, writing your life story. None of us can change the beginning, but we Mm -hmm. can all start from where we are and change the ending. That just struck me as quite a powerful idea. And I wondered from your point of view, how it related both to writing and to this idea of writing your life story. I found it quite beautiful. It's it, on the internet. The quotes attributed to C.S. Lewis, but once I investigated it, it, it actually wasn't by him. But um, I think, especially in this very surreal, uh, hard time that we're in now, I think the idea that we all make mistakes, we're all doing the best that we can in this very, very hard situation, but that actually nothing is kind of undoable, and you can start each day and try to be better or try to change things or try to write or live your dream in some way. I I like that idea. I thought it was it's about forgiveness in a way. It's about saying what can we do starting today to make things a bit better. Another big because there were some big ideas in in this book. (laughs) One that really kind of struck me as well. It's about the value of adversity. And you say adversity teaches empathy and with empathy comes compassion as though life can be too easy. I actually think that it's really, really important. I mean, years ago when I was a sports writer, I interviewed the South African golfer, Gary Player, and he always used to say, oh, you know, adversity is what makes you better. And I mean, I've struggled quite a lot and I wouldn't have In theory, everybody wants life to be easy, but the things, the paths that I've gone down have helped me, certainly as a writer. I mean, you talk about it teaching empathy and compassion, but it's as much about resilience as it is about empathy. It's both of those qualities. I I do think it's both of those things. I think everybody wants a a perfect life and nobody wants anybody, not a child, an animal or or an adult. We would all like nobody to suffer. But it's really important, I feel, in life to not just read about things, but as far as you can to actually engage in difficult things. And that's, you know, we can all do that, whatever our circumstances. I'm going to bring it back to the story because it does prompt all of these thoughts at the same time as enjoying a good mystery and enjoying (laughs) a good adventure. And in a way, those ideas are relevant to how things play out for your characters at the mm. end because they have an opportunity to have a materialistic mm. life. You know, the lashings of ambrosia cream that you would have got from your Eni Blyton stories, but it also undercuts that a little bit with some of the decisions that your characters make about how to live their lives. I think all my books, I suppose to some extent, my characters reflect my beliefs about the world or how I think things in an ideal world should play out. So can I ask you about Jess and Jude? You've got your characters now. You have written series in the past. Mm -hmm. Is this a standalone or is it a series of books? It's supposed to be a standalone. I don't know. I feel quite sad to say goodbye to them. So I definitely wouldn't do more than a sequel. I can see a sequel. Definitely. And um, I could see them getting involved in some kind of conservation, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, whether that's the oceans or more uh, local wildlife. I don't know. I love them a lot. I really enjoyed writing about them as characters. I felt a real strong affection for both of them. Well, I really enjoyed Wave Riders, Lauren. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, It's an absolute joy, Nikki. Really lovely to see you. Thank you so much. 
In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.